Now, let me ask you this. Do you have any fascination to pick up that camera again, film anything related to like movies? Or is it kind of like, hey, I did that for my work. I was good at it. I want to put it on the shelf. I'm kind of done. What, what's your thought with that? So I, I never really, uh, everyone who was like a videographer in any industry always kind of had what they called like a passion project. And I don't really feel that. I just feel, you know, probably at the end of everything or even on my mission, right? Like I, w- I would take a video every day more for documentation and how I liked. It's more of like a, this is just for me, right? Like I just want to watch what I have for my own family. I want to, I, I don't take pictures of my son I only take videos because I am obsessed with how much it captures so I really I like love that. And, and that's why I did wedding videography I felt super fulfilled when I did that because I was like recording people's life moments that it doesn't even matter if it's good or bad it's just like a mix of artistry and like you know the rawness of the day that they will not forget and I'm in charge of curating that memory for them so that's how I always Dude, felt. I love, I love that. And by the way, you you said something and you literally slipped it in there. So for anybody who doesn't know, Caleb said when we were on a mission, right? So this is how I know Caleb. Caleb and I went on an LDS or in other words, a Mormon mission, which is a two-year experience, essentially volunteering, not getting paid. You're going door to door. You're knocking on doors, teaching about Jesus Christ and this religion for about 12 to 14 hours a day. So that's what Caleb and I met each other. He came into the mission. I was there just for a short amount of time. We got to know each other, became really close because I think we both felt, and you correct me if you feel differently. I think we both felt this sort of raw, real connection, whereas everybody else was, they were trying to be something. They, they wanted this, they really wanted to be the best type of missionary where I think Caleb just wanted to be better Caleb and Spencer wanted to be a better Spencer. Right. And then we, we just really vibed. And on top of that, no, it was it wasn't. We just met on a mission, bro. You were the first missionary I met the first day I came. It was my definition of a missionary was you, right? Like going into it because I had all my predisposed predisposed thoughts of what I expected, and then like this guy who's younger than me training me on how to do this thing for the next two years of my I'm life. I'm doing a good job either, so don't, don't, <laughs> don't overhype that in the slightest. I was not a good trainer, but I hopefully a good friend. Hopefully that was were, what I was decent at. You were the at. best friend, yeah. You were, it, was, it was greater to see the changes that you also went through because, you know, I, there was everyone who was like a best friend with their trainer at the beginning or something, or you like, you know, this fucking bond that they'd have but by the end i feel like that's what we had because we both saw each other change and become different people completely from when we met each other and that's continued yes. and after our mission too and when like, you when you go through that experience with somebody you know like knocking doors raining you know it doesn't matter people saying no spitting at you cussing you out whatever the case may be there that bond truly is like i, I might not talk to you for two years and I still feel equally connected to this person that we went through a very shitty external experience. It was cool, you know, right. while we were there. And it taught us a lot. It helped us kind of age, I guess you could say. But I, in that moment, that lives on forever, just having that bond with somebody else who's experiencing the same thing. So that's how Caleb and I know each other. And we, we just really developed in so many different ways over the years. And it's, it's, it's been really cool to just stay connected. So this, this goes in line... You mentioned like books. You used to read books, or at least maybe you still do, but you like that visionary aspect. Uh, when I reached out to Caleb, I, I wanted him to come on this podcast for a couple different reasons. A, because he has this sense of filmmaking to him, but B, because we've connected on very unique stories, unique maybe shows or unique movies that hit us in a different way, but they're a little ambitious. One of those being Beef, which just came out on Netflix. You had asked me if I had seen this show. And I, I, at the time, I said no. But I checked it out because you had essentially recommended it to me by asking about it. And so I checked it out. And it was one of, if not the coolest TV experiences I've had in a long time. Probably for the last two years, maybe. Because it's different in the way it makes you think. And I think under that, 
it's all the story, the script. Right. And I really wanted to, to touch on that. But yeah, what, what's your thoughts with like the under, like stories outside of maybe the cinematic element, the visuals, the score, more just like that unique, deep type story? <laughs> everyone hates, everyone I know that I've talked to about Uncut Gems basically hates the movie. Oh. And, um, I, I hated it at first. But I hate. I realized I hated the feelings it gave me, and then I was like, "Dang, I cannot like. I have never felt like such fight or flight anxiety and fear. Like I was actually living yes. in a movie like that ever. Really, uh, I mean, the closest you get is like a horror, a good horror movie, right? Like where it makes you feel, it makes you forget that you're watching it, right? And you're like, "Dang, you know, I'm feeling their survival emotions." And that's yes. how I, that's, that's like probably what got me started in like the whole, yeah, I mean, I specifically like watching like long drawn out shows because I don't like like happy endings. I like seeing like the ups and downs of a real life and the imperfections of a character. Cause I feel like that's more something I can look up to. And, and that's, that's how I felt like with her, with, uh, uncut gems, was that same way where I was like, dang, this is so crazy, but so real. Like, this is exact. they have all the stuff down, and, and man, it's just gritty, and, like, this is never something I'll watch again, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> it's not like a movie arc. It's a, it's a, it's a life arc. It's something yeah. you've experienced in life where, you know, maybe my Monday through Saturday, there is no happy ending throughout that time. Maybe it's a stressful six-day week, and it's not... You start here, you progress, and then you have some happy ending to conclude the story. Uncut Gems is one of those where it's saying, hey, you don't really know what to expect. And that's kind of what we deal with every day. So it tends to be the most relatable. It in, it enheightens your emotions and the anxiety and you know this kind of clamminess to, to how you're feeling. But that is a good thing in a way. I will say my viewing experience was unnerving with Uncut Gems. Like I felt uncomfortable when I left that movie. Like, whoa. This was so intense, and it never let up. Even through the credits, it never let up. So you're you're on this constant edge of anxiety, and then there there's something to genuinely adore and respect with that. And then there is a side that's like, damn, maybe I do like movie arcs more than I like these life type of arcs. I don't know. That's a very intriguing concept. Um, one thing that I, I forgot to mention because I've been doing this at the beginning. I just started this podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and. Because it's in line with film update time, I share a bit of movie news before we dive into the episode. A movie news from the day that I'm recording, just to share, like, hey, this is what's happening in the world of movies. And I gotta ask, because are you a horror fan? Do you like horror movies? I mean, yeah, like, I used to be into it a lot, but haven't really, like, tried the newer ones yet. No no worries. Smile, you know, I feel like that's... Okay, Smile's... Good, that was like good a good ending. I, I like that. Everyone was like, "Oh, I better watch this," you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, definitely over. It, it was it was hyped, maybe a little overhyped. I like Barbarian. The reason I ask is because I went to Fantastic Fest last year in Austin, Texas, and this was my first film festival that I went to. And I I walked into a eleven forty p.m. showing. I just tried to book as many movies as I could, so I booked five movies a day. And that would typically start from 9 a.m. and end at, like, your last movie takes place at midnight or 11.30. And so I was at this 11.40 movie. It was my fifth movie of the night. I'm super tired, but I'm like, hey, I'm excited for this. And I had never heard of this before. It was called Terrifier 2. And so this was a sequel to this obnoxious film that I did not know at the time existed. But the director came up because it was a premiere for them. I think it was, like, a North America premiere and he just got on the mic and he said, hey, for any of you guys who are here, or pretty much you guys are here because you liked the first movie that I created, this means you're <laughs> fucked up and you're ready for something more. And he literally just gave the mic back. <laughs> I'm sitting there in the theater and I'm like, what? I have no idea what I've gotten myself into. And so the movie starts and it is, I think there's a word for this. Like it's, there's an actual genre but it's not it's so extreme gore and so extreme slasher oriented like oh. it does not feel like a normal horror film it's it's almost like there's like, like the yeah i don't even know what you call it like that like the human centipede genre 
Yeah, so it's in line with this almost just like campy, over-the-top, disgusting, gory. But anyways, I watched that film, walked out. I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? I've never (laughs) seen something like this in my entire life. Did not give it a good rating, but that movie was made for $250,000. And it ended up making $15 million because it was so hyped on its like gore and how crazy it was. So the Terrifier 3 was officially announced today to come out next fall and winter. So they're making a third one. And writer and director Damien Leone, uh, he's aiming to make the third movie simpler, but also more gory, scarier, terrible, like more obnoxious set pieces. He actually said that he stays up at night because he, he's stressing about not being able to give you something even worse and even far-fetched than what he gave you in Terrifier 1 and 2. So... Yeah, that's that's the movie news for today. And on top of that, I got to ask, do you have a favorite horror movie? Like, is there one that sticks out to you, one that you would recommend to anybody? I love Hereditary. Like, that's... that's Yes, 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 that is my favorite horror movie. It was a crazy... And it's not even like... I I like... I watched Midsummer. Because, you know, the, the guy made that one. And I was like, this didn't give me the same feeling as Hereditary. <laughs> Did you see Bo's Afraid? No. I I mean, that's why, you know, I messaged you about that. Because I'm like, I need to watch this. But now I'm scared. Because of the last experience I had, I was like, what? What's going on? Her- Hereditary is definitely peak. It's Hereditary. And then you have Midsummer, which is intriguing in its own element. But you feel a little bit more, maybe like confused kind of in like uh, the woods a little bit and then yeah. Bo's afraid takes it to a whole nother level so just yeah. something to expect if you were to yeah i haven't been that. ready to watch Bo's afraid because <laughs> 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 of all the news that i've heard and people be like what is this so i was like yeah i definitely need to like set apart some time <laughs> to even handle yeah that. i think i mean he even said himself that he was like unsure if he should have released this movie he just wasn't even certain if this was worth releasing so if he's gonna say something along those lines and have this unique mis- like i don't know this mystery to him i i think you should go in with proper expectations not thinking that it's going to be hereditary or midsummer but yeah yeah so we had talked when i was messaging you about doing an episode related to stories obviously like we mentioned but maybe watching them Maybe like in a different element, whether like, hey, if you if you like to drink, you know, a cocktail while you're watching or if you like to smoke weed or whatever the case may be, what gets you in this type of emotion to truly enjoy an experience for the underlying script and what that's meant for? And I listed some movies here that I believe have some of the best scripts. They might not have some of the best like, you know, score or visual effects or anything else, but the script itself just blows me away every time. So I do have those listed, but before I get into them, is there a is there a vibe that you get in for the perfect viewing experience? And I want to know exactly what that is. <laughs> yeah, man, I do have a, I have like a little, I mean, I have a like seventy inch TV right above me, and then I have that's beautiful a little seat right there, and uh, like my little smoke stand because I definitely smoke while I'm watching it. Nice. And, I'm not like a guy who gets slumped and just wants to like veg out. I just want to be like, I just want to feel or like, you know, VR, right? Like you can, you just put that thing on you're about five minutes in, you totally forget where you're at. And I kind of want to yeah. feel that way. My whole body wise, like kind of forgetting my body and that helps when you're smoking. And, uh, and then I always like, I always save what I eat like I plan out what I eat because I don't want to, you know, eat, have the munchies and eat more and have to leave or whatever. So I, if I'm hungry, I'll just go, oh, I'll just wait, set it up and then smoke. And then I'll enjoy the food twice as much because I already prepped it, you okay. know, like it's, yeah. you know, everything is kind of taken care of. And then, um, and sometimes I just need it to start like a, like a path in my brain to where, it makes me want to do something else because I, I want to be motivated mm. to do something. And sometimes I'm just watching a simple thing. Sometimes I'm, pl- I'm planning like a, a binge watch of a series or something like that. But anyway, I just like sit what down. Do you, and I, 
get ready. I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta ask you real quick. This is interesting because I have this. I I struggle a little bit to watch a show. Like I love The Office, but let me just say I'm watching The Office for the first time ever. I would have a sh- I would have a hard time because of how simple it is. Like how maybe loose and non risk oriented that show is. I would have a hard time getting into, but you're saying in maybe this altered conscious feeling, you you might actually prefer the simple shows to get you the most engaged, to keep you attached well, to what's happening. Yeah, I'd say like simple, something else. Simple movies, complex shows. I like. Okay. okay. I like because uh, I I also don't like those type of shows. I I mean it gets super repetitive. You find the patterns and it's super easy. And you're like, hey, what is this anyway? And then it, you have to wait 10 episodes for some movement in the storyline, which is not it for me. I want one episode to feel like I like I watched a movie and okay. and then be like, oh, whoa, I hope the next one comes out. And then I, I'm like, and then it goes, oh, next episode <laughs> coming up. And I'm like, oh, sh- oh, dang, I'm ready for this now, bro. Like, I want it to feel like that. Like, I want to go on like a binge watch of a whole like Lord of the Rings series and that's what it feels like when I'm smoking because I'm like, you know, everything, simple things can be enjoyable at that point. And that's why I watch simple movies because they work a lot on storyline, compacting it in there a little bit, you know, it, stuff in there. I like Disney movies or like rom-coms or. Uh, okay. Or Give me your favorite rom-com. What are you, what are you turning to? Are you, what's your safe watch? It's an easy watch, but it's still Dude, a good one. I love Crazy Stupid Love. That is like one of my favorite movies. Of yes. That's that great so- pick. I want to know, like, so you're, you're invested in the world of shrooms or psychedelics and oh, yeah. maybe just the world of maybe, let's just call it altered consciousness or that, yeah. that's kind of how think, we used for the, like, the... Yeah, psychedelic plant medicine. Yeah. Okay. Psychedelic. I like that. Okay. So psychedelic plant medicine. What got you into this world? Because I know you've always been fascinated just by like feeling good and relaxing, but like what got you fascinated to the point? Because I know you and you're so invested when you lock into something to go down this route and say, Hey, I I really want to learn more or invest in this or go to these trade shows, which is what you've done. Right. I, I would meet CEOs of venture capital firms or of startups and they would have a professional psychedelic doser. And I was like, no way, bro. This is crazy. I got to learn how to do this. So as I, I was like, if that CEO can do it, I can do it as a CEO. So I start, you know, just slowly I would, I would get more into the space of anyone who's doing plant medicine around me or, you know, just, cannabis in general and then that automatically leads into other areas so i just ask people to teach me the culture of it and so i really like you know i I just really studied it and and would smoke with a bunch of people and i would i would try and learn what the allure was and why people were doing it and and it was a whole like discovery for me of why people smoke cigarettes why people drink why people do any drugs I would write out all my problems from the week and, Mm. you know, things I wanted to work on. And then I would trip. And then within an hour, I would, you know, figure it all out. I'd be like, okay, wow. You know, that was super easy. For the rest of the day, it felt like I was living a week of life. I was in another world. Everything was beautiful. Everything was like moving and, you know, pretty colors. And I was like, wow, this is like a vacation, bro. Like, this is so sick. And on top of that, I feel like a different person every time I come out of it. Like I'm making massive changes in my life and pivoting as I go emotionally. And Why do you uh, think that is? Why do you think human beings don't have the ability to get themselves in a mindset to feel that A, relaxation, B, motivation, and C, create, you know, that, that creativity? What What is holding human beings back? Is it the fact that we're, we're constantly just cycling, like, kind of mundane shit through our minds every day like what what do you yeah think? I, think, I think it's we put ourselves in in our own cage of we, you know we tell ourselves a story that we rules we live by and it's kind of hard to ever exit that unless you're taken out of that situation and put in a completely new one and that's what psychedelic plant medicine does for you it takes you out of your your you're like oh you know i gotta get groceries i gotta do this i gotta prep for work i gotta oh you know i 
You gotta text this person back. You take it all away. And you don't just like do a technology detox. You do a freaking life detox, bro. Like just just exit the situation, enter another realm for a second. And then you'll come back and be like, whoa, this is Earth? This is what I've been doing this whole time? This is, how, this is how I've been wasting my time when I felt such joy with just being connected to whatever consciousness there is. I felt something like love inside of me and I felt like I understood people a lot better because in my own world, I can, I, I get, you know, to, I'm like, oh, you know, don't come in, bro. Like I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm trying this, yeah. this stuff. Don't, don't mess with me. I don't have time for that. And it's because I only care about myself. But then you start realizing how other people feel and being connected to them. So say I'm watching a movie and I just want to hear your own personal experience. But say I'm watching a movie because I've never I've never experienced psychedelics in any fashion. So I am genuinely curious if I'm watching a Disney movie, let's say um, like Toy Story. Okay, we're going to watch Toy Story. So we're watching Toy Story and I'm just seeing how it is and I'm plugging and playing and I'm just following this this story with the characters and the arc and everything that's moving, how is that different when maybe you're separated from the world of your own box, your own thinking, your own limits, I guess you could say, what are, what are you experiencing with Toy Story that maybe I'm not experiencing or maybe I, I'm not providing yeah. the potential to experience enough of? I'd say that on psychedelic medicine, you are your emotions are just... It can, it can be, well, specifically on mushrooms, I think. It depends on what you're doing. Um, but generally, I think your emotions are just heightened. You know, someone, you noticed what, you noticed the facial expressions more, or you may dramatize it in your head. And uh, that's why social situations are really hard for people who are smoking or on psychedelics, because they're like, scared they don't know what they look like especially for the first time so but toy story right like toy story in general i think it's you just need one that's like a simple good narrative like just a simple like you know that you could be bambi right like you know something bad's gonna happen in a disney movie someone goes on a life journey ends up pretty happy at the end of the day yep trolls seeing uh, Toy Story, um, The Incredibles, whatever. Because, what are some uh, of your favorite stories? Like what some of the like maybe they're drawn out. You'd recommend it to somebody, oh, and you yeah, so, and you'd have to say like, "Hey, this is this is going to be a story. This is something you have to follow, but it's going to pay off." Like some in your mind where it's not just an easy watch, but it is a well complicated story. I guess you could yes. say. Bicentennial Man is in the, is. Bicentennial, man. That's a that's an amazing one. That one will take a while. Same with uh, was it Ben Hur? <clears throat> ben Hur is another great long. You know, it's based in loosely based in like Christian religion, but like it's uh, like the Count of Monte Cristo too. You know, those are. Those are all long, Phenomenal like, film. epics, right? Like, those are... Yes. Bicentennial Man is with uh, Robin Williams. And it's basically the story of a robot becoming a human and learning how to become oh, a human. Oh, okay. And it is so, like... Like, you're actually watching how simple it is at the beginning and the complex things as he learns and, and goes... Like, it's, it's like watching the human journey in, like, a, a whole different way. And if people really, and I'm, I'm deep in AI, and if people really want to understand AI from that perspective, that's the movie they want to watch. Not like some of these weird, crazy, weaponized, like, you know, eagle eye stuff where you're like, AI is going to kill us. But Bicentennial Man is basically an AI becoming human. Um, I actually love that you said it that way. Because the format always is, hey... We build technology, technology becomes smart, and technology takes advantage of us and can possibly kill us. As you see in iRobot, Ex Machina, pretty much all of these these movies about AI, to your point, they become too powerful. Whereas I like the thought maybe there's a movie coming out in September called The Creator, which feels very similar. It's AI taking over, but there's really this AI representative who's – it seems like they're trying to make it work with humanity – and I right. think humanity needs to make it work with AI as well, which, you know, ChatGBT is huge right now. 
And I, on a high note, I tested out. I said, I put my entire script. So I'm making a short film. And I put my entire script in there. And I said, hey, I'm looking for a song to really wrap up the end of my film based on this emotion that I'm going for. Here's the script. And I provided as much as I, I could in my own sense as a prompt. And it gave me 10 options. So then I listened to those 10. I found two of them that I liked. I took those two and I, I did another prompt. I said, hey, will you show me more songs according that are similar to the emotions from these two? And you can really develop and learn so much on the quickest scale possible. But I think people turn away from it because they say, well, I need to be independent. I need to think for myself. I need to, you know, it's not there to take over you. It's there to amplify what you have the potential to pretty much discover. Have you seen her? Mm hmm. So like, I hated that movie because. Okay. Because everyone goes, oh, you know, if you're thinking of AI, think of her. And I probably would have liked it if I hadn't have known about AI um, before. But the whole thing that made me mad was that AI was obviously whoever created it weaponized it. And like, I'm just thinking of the whole civilization. Anyone who has that program, they're all going through the same situation as that guy. And it's not just him. Like that was like. Because I know how to design an AI. I know I read research papers on it. I use AI every day and I create custom prompts and automations for people. And that was like crazy to me because sure, you can do that, but it's completely like unethical as as an owner of an AI to do that and to have an AI create a relationship because it can I mean, I meet people all the time who are like, you know, I say, oh, well, you know, all of a sudden I didn't understand me anymore. What I was talking, like, forgot our previous conversation. I'm like, because you're not, tre- you're not, you don't understand how it works. Of course, it's going to appear crazy to you, like you're texting some stranger. But I know what it, how it thinks, right? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, everyone assumes AI is at a point where it could do all these crazy things. It, we, we can't, you know, even the even the most crazy developments in AI today, you know, they would they would crash tomorrow because they can't hold themselves up. So we still get it's mm. great to think of the future and time and everything and these what's potential. But it's so interesting to like watch it. But Bicentennial Man is one of my favorite like long and, and it shows Robin Williams in like a full like acting ability in his emotions. Is he the one going through the transition, He's the AI the to human? The whole transition, yeah. Oh man, wow. Man. Okay, so I, I want to check this out. Bicentennial Man. Yeah. I've I I think you might have brought this up to me. I I'm thinking I, I've heard it once or twice, and I don't know many people that have mentioned this in any conversation. So. No. I'd like to try that out. I mean, the number one movie that comes to my list when it comes to maybe drawn out so incredibly paced and no rush there's no like hey i gotta get from point a to point b it's saying no i'm gonna take you from point a point one point a point two point a point three it's really gonna take you through is there will be blood this is written and directed by paul thomas anderson okay and it is it stars daniel day lewis in what i believe maybe this is blasphemous but what i believe is the greatest acting performance in a movie that i've personally seen because when you watch this individual, just like you would watch a Heath Ledger in an interview, he's not the Joker, right? When you watch Daniel Day-Lewis in an interview and then you watch this character that he portrays, they're polar opposite individuals. What he did and what, I guess, what method route he went for this role, it's going to underwhelm people because they like the excitement of the Joker. They like that he's physically a clown and a different person. Whereas this person's just menacingly different as a human being, and I really like that. So there will be blood. I think when you can take a super super simple film, and by simple I mean there's no visual effects, there's no there's no Marvel Cinematic Universe coming in or any of these superhero films making it exciting. It is purely story. It's purely like, hey, this is this is you walking alongside these characters without the amplified effects that we tend to go for. I would check that one out. Bicentennial Man, I'm going to check that one out. There will be blood. I put a couple, I put Parasite on my list, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Black Klansman, No Country for Old Men. Even like 
12 Angry Men, the, the old black and white film, which is that, yeah. so simple, but it's so contextual. Like, it's so well, I don't know. It's just well thought oh, yeah. out, I guess. In a different way of yeah. making movies back then. They, I mean, that's all they had was stories and, like, good acting. Yeah. Hey, that's all they had I, to go with. I love watching the older movies. Have you ever seen Rear Window? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great one. My gosh. Yes. I was so, so good. <laughs> dude, Rear Window, which if anybody likes uh, Disturbia, I believe it's 2008 Shia LaBeouf, this is a much more maybe authentic and drawn out story that feels similar to Disturbia, that kind of creepy thriller. But in my opinion, when I watched that movie, their acting sequences are like 10 minutes before they cut. It's a 10-minute scene before they cut. Yes. It's not a, Hey, two minute, and then they cut to a different frame. You know, they literally hold an entire sequence, and then the the set designs are all practical. They're all real, and I love seeing that. There's no green screen effect behind a super small, maybe like prop that they created to put there in the back. It's so realistic. You know, the acting is phenomenal. The sets are realistic. And then the story, like you said, you have to have a good story to make a film. It's not one of those where you could just create visual effects and entice yeah. people i just i like old movies i'm getting into them a lot more i love them man and there was there was a few times they like sped up things in that movie where i was like do they do they actually you know jump from there or fall from there is that how it actually yeah was the setup where they're going downstairs and and i was like wow this is so simple you know they, they're dealing with like the most basic stuff and i don't even know how they're doing it because they plant it's like the perfect mix of stage and movie because i i was in i like those because any i don't like the tiktoky i guess you know like every three seconds you gotta change perspective yes. change mood change setting whatever uh i like seeing the real development you know like your facial expressions right and i was in i did competitive theater in high school like all of high school and that's what i got into was i could tell when someone was like a stage actor or like a movie actor and then the mix of them both was like perfect and that's like all the old movies are is everyone kind of did both back then and uh that's how the movies were kind of set up too so i that's i love older movies i even psycho is is like a great one i haven't seen it dude i oh, haven't seen it so good, i know man. i know this is like maybe maybe that one and casablanca are two of the most like blasphemous movies i've never seen so see they're still on my list and uh, movies are also tough it's like music they're <laughs> well i guess maybe not because music is typically a three or four minute song if you're like hey i want you to listen to this song it's like cool i can make that yeah. you know but carving out two to three hours of time, it tends to get a little tricky when you're like wanting to insert other things. But maybe that's just an excuse. But um, I was curious about like when you think of Jimmy Stewart, right, which many people know from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which is the Christmas film. But he's also in Rear Window. He's in a lot of Alfred Hitchcock movies. And when you think of him as an actor, I'm curious why people like him aren't in the conversation of best actors of all time because they actually had to act. And I'm not saying that people aren't acting today, but there are a lot more cuts, a lot more like transitions. We're just going to act to this certain moment and then you can stop acting. We'll take a break. We'll reposition you and then you can continue the scene. That's maybe a conversation worth looking into is, Hey, maybe Jimmy Stewart is top five actor of all time. I don't know. Like maybe that's that's a hot take, but I mean, honestly, the the way that I found out all this is because Mormons just watch a bunch of old movies. Like that's uh, I mean, we couldn't watch like I couldn't watch radar movies, so I was surrounded by all these like big Mormon families that they could only watch old movies. And I'd go over to their house and I'd watch because <laughs> they weren't allowed to watch like PG thirteen <laughs> new action movies. And I was well, like, hey, you know, these are great movies. <laughs> well, think about the rating system. Now, I mean, a rated R movie, I imagine, in 1954 was probably like they have to have either sign- – like, I don't know. Maybe they blur a little bit now because gun violence in that situation was a rated R, like, statement back in the 50s. Like, if they're going to shoot and, and show, like, gun violence, that's going to be rated R. Whereas now it's like, oh, no, it's 
it's an action movie or it's a it's a Marvel film, you know. It's it's James yeah. Bond. Don't worry, like we're we're good. It's very interesting to know which movies should be rated what or if they're even like if the rating system is accurate or not. I don't know. Maybe I've just never well, thought about that. I mean, the rating system. I've I've looked a lot into the rating system because I was mad I couldn't watch rated R movies. And I was like, Psh, I'm going to study this and see what's wrong. <laughs> and it's all based off of a Catholic. The Catholics came out with it. And uh, it was because they wanted to control what they watched. And the first PG-13 movie that came out was Gremlins. And that... Ever? First ever, PG-13 movie ever? Yeah. And if you look at the early 90s of... Uh, how they did ratings for rated R movies. They kind of didn't even know what to call rated R movies because Jaws was rated R too. And uh, I think that was in like the 80s or 90s. And that is not considered a rated R movie right now, right? Like we've slowly, it's slowly been like, oh, well, you know, that makes sense because there's an F-bomb there. And also statistically, PG-13 movies have way more gun violence on average than rated R movies. They just don't show the blood that comes from it. And that's kind of like what shocked me when I started watching rated R movies. Was I was like, oh my gosh, people die. <laughs> and I had been thinking this whole time that, you know, you know it's a, what's a gunshot? <laughs> you know, of course you can duck under that, you know. Someone's not going to have their arm fly off. Then I see like the Patriot and I'm like, oh, gee, this is the American Revolution? Jeez, bro, this is crazy. What if you just sparked my my opinion here because you know Oppenheimer's coming out this summer and that's going to be rated R, I, and I'm associating Oppenheimer just due to the quality that Christopher Nolan typically creates. Are rated R movies the the maybe that limitless like that's the only opportunity your your story can truly tell what it wants to tell because you're not putting a box around you like is that the only that's way to I truly feel. say hey. I need to say I need to say all my emotion. I need to show you whether whether I walk into my bedroom and my partner is wearing clothes or not. Like it's just a natural circumstance. Right. I, I don't want to disguise every scene and put myself in a box because I'm forced to change the scene. What would my scene look like? And maybe that does end up being a PG-13 movie, but I think in a lot of circumstances it would be rated R because there's an authenticity, a reality, a rawness to human emotion and human circumstances yeah. that you can only see in, in those type of films. Well, that, that's, that's what changed my perspective on uh, watching uh, 12 Years a Slave. I was like, mm. this is not rated R because of like some deeply sexual, you know, just horribly, you know, bloody thing. It's because the sla- a lot of slaves were naked and that's just how they were. And we're finally seeing yes. it depicted for the first time. I mean, there was like violence but no more violence than I'd probably expect in a PG-13 movie. But it was purely because of the natural nudity of the time period. And they just, they're like, oh, you can't can't see that. You know, it's, I don't care how accurate it is. Because you're going to think it's sexual. Because I said so. You know, like, that's that's how it feels well, think, with those ratings. Think about a book. You know, if somebody's reading a book and they tell, you know, it's it's very explicit and very even at times sexual or gory or dark that tends to feel the most like you feel the closest in understanding because you're like, "Oh, that shit does happen in the world. Oh, that shit does happen day to day or like, yeah, I take a shower, or I, you know, I I work and these are the frustrations and the emotions that I have at work and maybe there are times I'm just like fuck i'm tired and you cuss because you're just really exhausted like there's a lot of reality to those depictions in books and i think you should expect the same thing in a film that's rated r you shouldn't just expect oh it's going to have some massive porno you know pornography or pornographic material in it or somebody's going to be it's going to be very gory it like you shouldn't put a stipulation to it because in reality it might just be realistic It, it might be there will be blood which is rated r and there's no there's no like nudity or anything crazy in that film. It's just super deep and raw and dark at times that you, that's why it has that rating. So yep. that opened my mind a little bit. That's, that's also why I only watch shows most of the time that are TVMA because they are rated R TV shows and mm. they, they show just as much. I mean, most of the time more than a rated R movie. Uh, Cause it could be, okay. And, and I could always tell when it was TVMA 
when in the first episode they always show nudity or some form of like thing that that like signals hey this is not your regular show we are treating this differently and then it may be the most intense episode but it's just letting you know this is what's going to be trickled along the way as we go throughout the show and these what you you won't be able to expect the limits because we're not going by your typical definition of what you think tv is anymore Ever since, you know, have you seen Sherlock, the whole like BBC series? I haven't. No. Sherlock was one of the first uh, shows to ever do an hour long episode and to where it felt like they were. And I watched these interviews where they would like talk about how they they're like, yeah, it was so new. Like, I've never worked with like a, ca- a cast where it feels like we're shooting a movie every episode. And that's what kind of like changed every dramatic depiction of a, of a story on t- television. Great point. Sherlock. And that's why everyone now can expect like 45 minute to an hour long movie. Cause when we went into, you know, Netflix and we were like, wait, what? This was only 15 minutes to 20 minutes without ads. Now this is crazy. Like I need more time. I need something different. And it, it changed everything from that point. Cause it, I remember when I, when you couldn't watch like those at all. And I was just like searching for something that was past 30 minutes long because I couldn't get, I couldn't get into it. What a great point to mention is without commercials, which is typically when you used to watch even a movie, you know, even a movie felt a, a decent length at the time when they were, you know, let's just say an hour and a half. It felt like two hours and 15 minutes because of all these commercials that are happening that you're, you're in this experience for a good amount of time. Whereas if they, if they take that out and you have an hour and a half film, maybe you're craving a little bit more. And I think we're kind of turning backwards on that. Like we actually want shorter films. But with TV series especially, I think those ones you felt the most because they genuinely are 18, 19, 20-minute episodes without the commercial breaks. And that that hits you a little different when you're watching it on Netflix and there you know there are no commercial breaks and you're like whoa I just watched four episodes and now like it was that substantial do I feel weird about it I don't know how I feel like maybe that's just a weird emotion in general but I I do have a, a question as we're kind of like I don't know aiming toward the end here a do you have a favorite filmmaker one that or even a screenwriter or somebody that you're just like I when I see their stuff come out I am going to watch it strictly because I know that they make me think, they make me feel a certain type of way. They just, I have this nostalgia to them, whatever it might be. Is there somebody that you gravitate toward? Uh, I'd say like a a studio I gravitate toward is A24. And then a director is Christopher Nolan. Like I I just- Hell yeah. Like I think his, he's kind of like, I've seen him, you know, we've all seen him grow into the different types of movies, but it- I like all of them. Like, I, I, I've never really hated it. And I can be like, oh, you know, that wasn't as amazing as another one, but still a banger, you know, like <laughs> still. A I agree. I actually so, agree. I love, I love Christopher Nolan. I love that you say that. Christopher Nolan is my favorite filmmaker. And even, you know, Pe- Tenet is one of those popular ones where it's like, hey, this movie was so ambitious, a little bit just bombarding in your own emotion that you can't really comprehend what's going on. But once you start comprehending what's going on, once you even get a glimpse of what's actually happening, the movie truly becomes one of the most intelligent thought process scripts that I've ever seen, ever. Like, seeing what the Nolan brothers were able to put on paper, uh, maybe Jonathan Nolan didn't work on this, but at least Christopher Nolan, to then put on screen, it's it's almost just unreal to the point where you have to watch it over and over. And that's the point of movies, right? That you want to watch them over and over. Like you shouldn't watch a movie and say, yeah, I'll never touch that ever again. It's like, what's the point of making that memory, making that movie, putting in all that hard work. You want, you want people to keep watching it. Right. So Christopher Nolan does a great job at making his movies rewatchable in the sense that, you know, you're going to learn something every time. Yeah. And, and I think Tenet was, I think, like with there's other ones where you're like, oh, I should I should watch that again and see that part later. But with Tenet, it was like I need to pause this and like rewind and see what's going on yes. now because I don't oh I can't. There's no way, you know, like you almost feel like you've been lied to the whole time, and you're like, there's Absolutely. no way. <laughs> if if that. you are, I will say, if you're like Caleb or even like me, you know, where we both just we like these complex, drawn out stories. They give you a true journey. I did list some 
some writers. So not necessarily directors. They are directors as well. But Christopher Nolan was one of them. Quentin Tarantino, honestly, I, I like how his films, especially his newer films, they've been more drawn out as a story and a character piece that you're you're so fascinated by the amb- ambiguity. Is that the word to use? Where it's just kind of unknown. You don't know until the end, and it wraps everything up so perfectly. Django Unchained is my second favorite movie of all time, and it does just that. It literally takes you on this journey that you don't really know where <laughs> it's going, but once it gets there, you you just you love it. So I put Quentin Tarantino on there, yes. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, the Coen Brothers. And then Aaron Sorkin. So for just pure writers, which Aaron Sorkin did, Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs. Um, Coen Brothers did No Country for Old Men, True Grit. They're really just kind of in that world of drawing out these long stories. And then Paul Thomas Anderson, There Will Be Blood, Licorice Pizza, uh, Magnolia. He's he's kind of regarded as one of the better filmmakers because he's a teacher. He teaches filmmaking, but he also makes films. So... It's a really cool concept of somebody who has a knowledge but also executes on that in a very technical way. I need to understand – like I I want to truly understand what a writing room looks like too because I feel like – Yes. All of the – all the change – I've seen the changes it goes through as like I've had friends who pitch movies and uh, have to work it into like the – ethics of the studio or their director finding the right guy who likes it or changing it up along the way in terms of how they define people. And I find that the more a movie fits to what a writer has exactly envisioned, the better the movie is usually because they, you know, they, you see this with books too in adaptions. It's, it's like, ah, well, you know, he couldn't be that ambitious because of the budget and it still doesn't live up to it. And when when there's that perfect synchrony of director and writer, it's like they're both they both like see into each other's minds, and it's and and then there's all these other examples of like a writer just you know writing to live, getting bought out because they just they were desperate they couldn't hold it any longer for the right person and they and it just completely fucked up the vision of what they thought, and you know like with Rocky Balboa right like that was one of those things where Sylvester Stallone, he knew it was, it was a great movie and he demanded what he was worth throughout the whole process because he knew he loved the story. And he, he wasn't, he was kind of like a Quentin Tarantino character, like a a nobody in film, Mm -hmm. but he, he just believed in it and he proved it until he was able to, to make sure all the rules were followed with his script. So I, I admire writers. I just have it. I want to get more into what their what their whole process is and doing that cuz I it's amazing how they can use, screenwriting is way different than just writing. Oh, th- I'm learning that maybe the hard way uh just cuz I'm I'm kind of just going by like it's like the YouTube method, you know, you look at scripts that you really enjoy and then you say, "Oh, okay, this is how I format. Okay, this is how you plug and play." Which maybe that's a good way to learn anyways, regardless of where you learn the foundation. It's just like doing it. Yeah. But to your point, what's what's cool about the the whole Rocky situation, you know, Sylvester Stallone sold that script. He wrote that script, and but his caveat was, I am the actor for Rocky Balboa. So if you're <laughs> gonna buy my script, yeah. you get me as the actor. And and there was a lot of like, hey, we'll we'll give you this good amount of money. By the way, you're nearly homeless, so you need this amount of money. But there was a sense of pride in, in Stallone saying. I am this part. This is me. I am this character. So if you find somebody, it's not going to be that vision that I want. So I like that you brought up that that scenario because that was a cool experience to look back on. My my last question before we lead out of here, which this has been great, man. You've been awesome to bring on. And I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation. I just love talking about movies and then delving into what allows that experience to be amplified for anybody in their own personal right. So what's the last movie and or TV show that you watched that made you feel something? Whether that's sad, whether that's happy, what just the, an emotion that has stuck with you since you watched it. I will say just to allow you, you know, a second, a brief thought to think back on. I would say the movie for me was, the most recent one was Sanctuary. This is a very non-erotic erotic film so like a non-erotically erotic film it's such a weird concept but it it took (laughs) yeah it took this very 
very stationary concept of being this couple in a hotel room and it evolves human emotion and human personality in today's sense in a one hour and 36 minute film. I believe that's all how long it was. It was a super easy watch. So that was the one that, that stuck with me over the last week or so. But yeah, is there one that comes to mind for you? Um, man, I, well, a show I just started watching was, uh, was Grace, Grace and Frankie. And that's, uh, that's about two women who are, you know, like 50 to 60 years old. And both of their husbands are business partners, but they turn out to be gay and they leave them for each other. And they're also divorced lawyers. And <laughs> Whoa, this is really cool. <laughs> and I'm trying to watch like more, uh, you know, pride friendly movies this month. Cause yeah, like, yeah you know, like Hell yeah. more into, into this genre. Cause I, I should probably like learn about their cinema style and, and everything. And, but it's a really great, like modern comedy uh, that you're, that, that just shows you perspectives of, so many different people in the same episode where you kind of like you feel bad and good for them at the same time very very fascinating grace and what sorry frankie or grace frankie. and frankie okay that is such a fascinating um maybe balance is the word i'm looking for where i like when the protagonist and the antagonist whoever you consider one or the other are neither because they're just simply an individual feeling the way that they're feeling and you relate to both of them. So at some points you're like, oh, this is this is the good person. This is the protagonist. Where at other moments you actually see them as the antagonist or the bad person. Yeah. So I like those shows. I like those movies yeah. when they – anytime you create a gray scale to a human being, it just makes things a little bit more relatable. So – Sweet man, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Any last thoughts? Any any you know feedback, notes, things that are on your mind? Same thing. I always tell you, bro. I fucking love you, man. And I and I'm happy. For Dude, I love you, man. I, I I had a great time. It was fun. I never get to talk about film or or movies or anything. And sweet man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, viewer, listener. I shouldn't say viewer. I'm looking at Caleb. You are not. You're listening to Caleb. Thank you for tuning in. Genuinely, I just appreciate anybody who loves movies, who loves real conversations, just kind of joining in on what we do. So I'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.